Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. <sighs> you ready for this? Aha. Yeah? Aha. Um, you try telling the 13-year-old me that in however many years' time I'll be sitting down with Mags and, and talking about records, talking about intros. Mags wrote that intro to take on me. He wrote that keyboard playover. We talk pop synth. You know, we talk about him him and Paul and Morton coming to the UK uh, in the early 80s to try and make it. Um, we talk about some wonderful records. Um, he's such a... A lovely guy, as you're about to find out. And, yeah, I hopefully reined in the fanboy a little bit. You know you know, I love my, my synth pop and, and AHA. They're up there with, with Modi, Razor, Pet Shop Boys, all of those bands that, that literally soundtracked my formative years. Um, so this was a real, real moment. So, first of all, some thank yous. Uh, huge love to Shane. Uh, for putting this together for me. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. Shane's been responsible for introducing and, and, and lining up some wonderful interviews that you have been privy to. So so thanks, Shane. Um, big love to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76, who produces this podcast. And always, the huge thanks go to you lot as well um, for listening. We're 400 episodes in. That's a huge back catalogue. And there's some ace chats there and uh and this is if this is your first time listening um welcome uh you've you've missed lots but that's fine you've got plenty of time you can catch up when you finish listening to today's chat with mags have a look in the archive because you can hear me talking to who can you hear me talking to other synth pop legends you can hear me talking to Andy McCluskey of, of of OMD. You can hear me talking to Heaven Seventeen. Uh, you can hear me talking to rock royalty like the Foo Fighters and Motley Crue. Um, indie legends like Suede, Idols, Sleaford Mods. Oh, the list, the killers. Um, the list goes on and on. If you like your actors, you can hear me talking to Michael Smiley, Thomas Turgoose, Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley. Uh, the, 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 there's so much Butch Vig, Fat Boy Slim. They're just a few. Um, like I say, there's 400 episodes. So when you do finish with today's episode, go and explore it. And better still, subscribe because I put out two episodes for free every single week. Um, and why do I do that? Because I love chatting to wonderful, creative, talented people about their life, their creative journey, and records. Anyway. If you'd like to support this podcast, there's a few ways you can do it. The first way is really simple. What you do is you nudge your mate 
or a stranger on the train and go, have you heard of the Beaten Track podcast? It's well all right. It's this kind of like guy in his 40s, late 40s, uh, with a lisp from Essex that gets overexcited talking to pop stars about records. So that's the, that's the first way you can help. The second way, again, doesn't cost a penny. You can just go on your, your Instagram or your Twitter or your Facebook uh, and give us a follow or a like or a share or a retweet. That really helps, and that doesn't cost a sausage. Nah, this one costs, but it doesn't cost a lot. It costs $1 a month. So I've worked out that's about 19p a week. And for that, you get to watch this episode. In fact, you get to watch hundreds of episodes completely ad-free. And that's done over on Patreon. It's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. So go over there. And then what you also get over there is those radio shows. I like to sit in my little studio, play some records, get overly excited about them. Uh, do some nice little kind of Sunday come down playlists where I just play some nice acoustic records and, and, and chat about some lovely bits of melancholic music. Um, and like I say, there's Spotify playlists. There's episodes that have never been released to the public. And like I say, every, every episode you can watch over there. Uh, and it's going to cost you about 19p a week. And essentially that money goes into just paying for producer 76 to to ensure that i can keep giving you two episodes every week for free it's times are tight i understand you know the cost of living's through the roof and all of that so if you can't afford the dollar a month i totally understand but yeah like i say give your mate a nudge or, or give us a little a little bit of love on the socials anyway that's enough claptrap from me uh, you're going to get some ace chat now, and that's not from me. That's from today's guest, so I'm going to introduce him. Please enjoy it. Off the Beat and Track podcast with the delightful Mags from AHA. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years, and I can't thank them enough. Um, and the one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you, you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favorite spirits, and then they've added their lovely chocolatey magic-y stuff to it so you can get like uh, my favorite's the mint chocolate one go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious the salted caramel one will blow your socks off as well there's loads you need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, hotel chocolat do and i'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with hotel chocolat go check them out but right now get back to the podcast It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with it. Okay, we are recording. Max, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Heavy, heavy days traveling. Yeah, just uh, came off a nice um, 20, 20 hour total from um, south of Brazil to San Francisco. So um, it's all good. 
I remember that being easier than it feels today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, um, I'll go straight into the, 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 the playlist, mate, and I'm going to ask you, please, um, for track one, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Yeah, well, um, I debated putting Take On Me in there. I thought that, was, that would be an asshole move to do. But uh, <laughs> um, Why not? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just, uh, you know, it's like uh, in a, in a, at a time where the vocal comes in, you know, like 10, 15 seconds after the intro, uh, I just think that instrumental intros are hugely undervalued these days. And, and um I guess you know, take them as one of one of those examples that 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 seems to catch people's attention, even though it takes I don't know uh, half a minute for, uh, <laughs> for for the vocal to come in or more. Um, no, I I, I, um, I mean I debated it with myself for a long time because you kind of want to sound more clever than you are and, and show that you are aware of all the music that's out there. But um, I thought about. Um, like, why does it have to be, you know, we call pop songs songs and then classical music pieces. But I, I thought, what is, the, what is the kind of opening lines that have affected me the most? And I, I kind of rummaged through my own sort of favorite playlists uh, over the years. And then I, I kind of, I thought, nah, let, I'm going to go with the Serenade for Strings by uh, Tchaikovsky. Um, I don't know if you're going to play it on this podcast or not. If that's uh... we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany ah, right. it, so people well, can well, go and sure listen to it. I did. I got really, the Norwegian one. It's a really ah yeah. That sounds a bit patriotic, but but it is particularly <laughs> and, and the director is uh, English, by the way. So um, okay, so it's all good. Um, it's just those string lines at the outset. There has this for me this perfect blend of urgency and tenderness. It's just emotionally moving but also very stirring and and forceful and majestic and i i like to think on some of our best work that that's what we've been trying to achieve or or maybe have achieved um and and um so and i actually used that intro for when we when we came back after having disbanded in early 90s and 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 came back in uh, around the year 2000 that was the that was the intro before the show. That was the kind of where the show started with this this piece. Uh, it just has this amazing uh, melodic and powerful intro. So I, that's why I went. Uh, I'm not a you know I'm not an expert classical listener, but I do have friends who are, and I'm I'm you know constantly uh, exposing myself to uh, to all kinds of music. So. Um, yeah. So that that's the one I went for. Wonderful. I'm not trying to be too highbrow, you know. It's just uh, no, no, not at all. Not I, at I just all. feel like every every cho- I was I was considering uh, Fire by Arthur Brown, you know, because it's, I am the god of hellfire, and I, that's a great intro. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it, I mean, there are so many good intros. I mean, intros are hugely important. That's the first hook in the fish, isn't it? That's like the thing that draws you in. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, intros is everything. Well, with, with that in mind, you, you touched on something we've, we've taken on me a moment ago, saying about how long it took to get to the vocal. And, you know, you were crafting perfect pop records. And 
and I just watch how my children consume their music now and they've got very very quick thumbs and they're they're, yeah. they're they're whizzing through music on tiktok and and i speak to uh you know new bands like a lot and they're talking about the importance of like having this hook right at the beginning so they can get on a spotify playlist because there's all of these sort of things that seem to be factoring to getting your music out there now and so Max, i want to ask you like does any of that kind of like trends in in how people are consuming music ever filter through into the creative process of both your work and the work of AHA? Well, I, I mean, it certainly did. We tried our best to make, like, as you say, really pop, perfect pop records back in the day. But I, I guess we're more part of the resistance now than anything else. I think we're, we're, yeah. kind, of, we're kind of like more slow, the slow food of the music industry than, than, uh, than you know, like the, the fast and and effective um so um yeah i mean it, if it has affected us it's actually more to to disregard this urge to uh i mean not that you don't want people you want people to get into the atmosphere uh immediately but but you don't want to sort of you know there's this infernal editing of everything to try to make to maximize efficiency that that can lose a lot of things too and i i love artists who who take their time and and you know a lot of the great music that's been made uh, isn't like that and and it means that it exists outside of the charts and, and that's fine and we do too these days so i think it's just a sign of the times you know this sort of restlessness uh, it's the way we watch news. I mean, we just, oh, I don't like that news. Give me other news. You know, it's a bit like the Groucho Marx uh, quote, you know. These are not good news. I don't, give me other news. Um, um, so, um, yeah, if anything, I think um, we allow ourselves to, to live a little, a little outside the realm of, 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 of uh, op- optimizing for the TikTok generation. And, and strangely, you know, like I was just being told that Take On Me has like something like 900 million views on, on some crazy dance contests on TikTok. I'm not even on TikTok and my kids are too old to be on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at least, well, they would probably shame me for saying that. They, they aren't. But you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, it's crazy to see young generations. And, you know, you see it now with, with Kate Bush re- um, surfacing with the running up that hill how great is that i mean there is a need for all kinds of of, of music out there not just a, a hyper efficient hyper designed um hit records so i'm just happy to be able to uh, be given the privilege by loyal fans over decades to continue to um do what we love and, and do it in the way we see fit wonderful I'm going to take you back for track two and ask you to tell me, please, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Well, it's really, you know, really, um, you have to kind of choose there. Um, Because, you know, as a young child, you would hear music that, that my father was a musician, my grandfather was a musician. So I grew up with instruments around the house. I grew up with people playing and performing um, so I can't hand on heart to say that I, mean, I think I was affected hugely by music very early on, uh, without really remembering, um, tracks that, that, that stood out. But I, I do remember the first 
artists that changed the, the trajectory of, of my musical taste and career. Uh, and that was um, when I discovered The Doors by accident. I think, you know, because Paul and I had already started gravitating towards each other at the age of 12 and 13. And, and you know, we started competing by, by competing to buy records that was interesting. And we kind of discovered the 60s as our holy grail of, of music. And that was very different from what our contemporaries were, were um, playing at the time. Um, so I think that's where I came of age, rediscover, like rediscovering the 60s as a, as a young, young wannabe aspiring musician. Um, and I think it was around the age of 13, I was um, sent to England for a summer uh, with a the family there and, and went into record stores and basically probably bought anything that was from the 60s without knowing much about it. Um, um, discovered, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, the Beatles, obviously, as before then, were a huge influence. But, but hearing the Doors for the first time was uh, a bit like a bit of an electric shock. So that's the track I chose. Um, um, I, I bought the album "Waiting for the Sun" um, and tried to convince Paul that this was a really cool band. And it was a bit of like not invented here syndrome. It was like, I didn't find it, so I better not say it's too good straight off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just by accident that I, I, I fell onto it. And then I remember this, the song, um, Summer's Almost Gone, had this beautiful, melancholic um, vibe that just blew my mind and uh, and then we were both huge Doors fans to the point where we named our first real band uh, The Bridges <laughs> you know very ambitious young uh, young kids saying like the doors are now closed uh, we need to build bridges yeah. <laughs> it's a very very um, self-important um, statement but but it did shape us uh, incredibly and and uh, Ever since has been one of those uh, one of those go to um, artistic overs that that you would never you never sort of tire of. Because that's incredibly intense, and as much as there's lots of pop sensibilities to the Doors, you know it's very intense and, and heavy music for a thirteen year old. Um, what would you say if you had to pinpoint the emotion? that you got from hearing that? What would that emotion have been? I may have been 14. I, mean, I may have been really grown up. Uh, I, may, <laughs> I may have got my timelines wrong. I think um, Hendrix was probably the, uh, 13. But um, what was the question? What did I, what did I get what from it? What was the emotion, if you had to pinpoint the exact emotion? <sighs> Just a sense of hope in all the dread, you know, and, and this boldness in, in the performance and the, sort of um, non-compromising atmosphere that it's, it's, it's quite hard to pinpoint, but I guess, you know, at the core of all of the house music and I guess all of Norwegian art and culture, there's a, a strong sense of um, melancholia. And I think, I think we look at melancholia as a, as a, as, a, as a, we, we, we tend to think of it as yearning. We tend to think of it as a, 
a Norwegian psychologist friend of mine calls it white sorrow. It's the sort of the missing of the things you never got, you know, this, uh, this yearning for, and, and as opposed to black sorrow, which is losing something you love. Um, and I, that kind of describes it in a way. Um, you know, th- this yearning is what we, we get fired up by melancholia. I, I mean, I get, I get sad when I hear happy-go-lucky music and I get emotionally stirred and, and, and focused and, and um, inspired when I hear music with melancholy content. Um, it's a, it's a Scandinavian thing. What can I say? I mean, you know, I don't expect everybody to understand. <laughs> if, you're, if you're having a day where you wake up and you're not feeling great, you're feeling blue, uh, you're feeling, you know, a little low, do you reach for something up or are you happy to kind of listen to something melancholy and process that, that feeling and, and kind of almost give it a, a hug for a bit? The last, uh, the last alternative, you know. <laughs> if I'm blue, I reach for blues. I mean, uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've never met a musician that said otherwise. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, sorry not to be unique there. But, um, I mean, you know, I do like a bit of light in the tunnel. I mean, I, 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 I'm, the, I'm the guy who wrote the riff of Take On Me, for God, God's sake. Yeah. I'm not like uh, – um, you, like, you don't like to hang – you know, hang your head down. You, you, but you don't want to. I think the worst is just to pretend that things are hunky dory when when they're not. The best is to. Music is therapeutic in that sense. I think f- not only for artists but for um, for um, the audience, for 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 the listener. And I think uh, you know, uh, sad music is not meant to make you feel sad. It's meant to make you feel connected to other people yeah. in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to stay in the, the formative years for track three, uh, and I'm going to ask you please to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school. Again, a lot of uh, a lot of things to choose from, um, but Beatles was part of the sort of staple diet growing up, um, and everything by the Beatles, you know, there was nothing we didn't love. Um, but I, um, I remember being particularly fond of um, the Let It Be album uh, initially, and um, I think I, yeah, I chose. I've got a feeling um, because there was something, you know, uplifting about that song. Um, something kind of irreverent and. Uh, and cool that sort of remind Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Give me of my, my school years, you know, this sort of... Uh, you know, kid who didn't know what life uh, was bringing, you know, felt pretty invincible at the time. Um, you know, had dark moments, had, you know, like the Beatles were never a shallow group. I remember, um, uh, you know, in Norway, the the thing was that when you heard a, a record, um, I think the first, well, I think it was four or five years old, um, was when I heard She Loves You the first time. And I kind of Norwegianified the, the title. I didn't know what English was at the time. So I just phonetically make it Norwegian to schlafs you, yeah, 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 which means schlafs is a bit when you're a messy eater. You, you <laughs> so, you know, you kind of make up your own world. And um, uh, But I think for me, I've got a feeling had that sort of, that hopefulness, uh, that sort of um, um, forward-leaning um, kind of kid meeting the day, um, happy to see friends and, and, and just kind of getting on with life. Yeah. How was, was, was school? Was that an enjoyable experience? Yeah, I... I um, I think, yeah, I think I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't bullied as a kid. Uh, I mean, Morton was quite severely. Um, and if you know Morton, you can understand the kids that um, couldn't latch on to his um, esoteric uh, worldview. But he had a very kind of rough school experience growing up. Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I, um, I grew up in a... In a place where there was an enormous amount of kids in all ages. And, and so you had a huge, you know, the big classes, um, kids from, from different backgrounds. And it just, it was just, um, it was just, I, I had a really good time at school, actually. I, I can't remember it being traumatic. I was bored a lot. Um, you know, I was, I felt I was restless. I was always talking too much and getting, thrown out of class for, for making too much noise. Um, but I, yeah, I, you know, I was, I was super happy. I, I, um, uh, can't say I, I was traumatized by the Norwegian school system, except for, for the boredom, which, uh, you know, is mind numbing, uh, at times. You said that you and Paul were, were making music, you know, when, you know, back when you were 13, 14, um, was was there ever any, any any sort of question as to what you wanted to do with your life? Was music always going to be what you wanted to do? I kind of decided quite early on. I mean, to this day, I'm 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 working with the same things that I was that were my hobbies or my I never like to call them hobbies, but what I what what 
what I was interested in as a young person. I I, uh, I make music. Uh, I make visual art because I also work parallel as a, as a visual artist, and and both of them have become professions um, um, that I work with. You know, for more than forty years now. Um, and I write poetry, and 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 those I still do those things, and um, I've been lucky to, um, you know, to have enough success to be able to keep doing it without doing anything else. And um, I think my father was a musician, my grandfather was a musician, as I mentioned. So it was easy for me to make the leap uh, into believing that could be a life for me too. And, and my mother was. My mother was very um, supportive. She said, "I don't care if you um, if you sweep the streets, as long as you're happy doing it, um, do what you want." Um, and she came from the she was a teacher, so she came from academic side. But I, I think I, I just had a sort of a clear path to to defining for myself what what um, what life would be. And I, I remember telling Paul very early, like. Uh, at the age of 13 or whatever, that he asked me, what are you going to, what do you think you're going to do when you grow up? And I was like, I, I'm going to be a musician. Um, and it didn't feel like a big statement. It just felt like it was possible for me to say that. Yeah. Um, so that has to do with my, my growing up. And uh, my father's fatal accident when I was uh, six, you know, I guess was formative also in the sense that um, music had a, a special significance as a, as a therapeutic area. Um, yeah. So that may have played into it also. You know, having, you know, a, a father and a grandfather that was in, in, in music and, and, and being so sure, you know, and saying to Paul that you wanted to be a musician at a young age, was you a, a confident young man? Yeah, I think I was a cocky young man. Uh, but at the same time, um, same time, kind of easily hurt. You know, I was, I was, um, I was probably giving better than I, uh, better than I received in the sense that I, 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 I kind of pivoted between um, being cocky and and being kind of emotionally devastated. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's a, it's an interesting time, isn't it? I see a lot of. Um, the same in, in young people that surround me today that, you know, there, I love that attitude of, 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 um, of like invincibility that, 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 and, uh, you know, like Oscar Wilde said, youth is wasted on the young. Um, and I think it's a lovely quote, but I think it was absolutely wrong. Um, uh, I've come to the conclusion that uh, youth absolutely belongs to the young, and the more you can retain, the more you can retain of it, uh, I, I think, I guess, is is uh, the better. Yeah, that that twenty hour travel would have been nothing when you was fifteen, mate. I would have loved it. I would have uh, been all over it like a rash. I mean, um, no, but you, you get you get a more more you get a sense of of um, you get better at realizing, you know, your um, temporal or your sort of transient uh, uh, situation as you get older, you, 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 you know, you start to um, choose away things that, that feels like a waste of time um, and spend it on the meaningful things. And I guess that's, that's the beauty of, of getting older. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Tell me about the first record you bought from a record shop, please. Um, that was, uh, as far as I can remember, and uh, truth be told, because um, I, I, I did receive records, you know, I did wish for other records before that. Uh, as a child, like for Christmas and stuff. Um, but the first one I bought myself was um, the Jimi Hendrix compilation album. And that was in the UK. I, I, that's what, definitely when I was 13. Um, and because the next year I went on Interrail with Paul and that's when we started buying like wholesale 60s records um, in every city we went to. Um, but um, yeah, um, it was a purple. Uh, it was a purple cover. I, I, I don't have it anymore, sadly. But um, but it was a compilation of, of um, great Jimi Hendrix tracks, and um, uh, I guess the, the song that really blew that wide open for me was um, was Little Wing. Yeah. Um, I think it was actually the live version. Uh, I can't quite remember. But I was a huge, we were huge Jimi Hendrix fans. I mean, that was also one of the formative artists, you know, um, when discovering music seriously and, and going against the grain. I mean, you know, nothing wrong with ABBA, but people were listening to ABBA and disco and, and kind of in a whole different area. And there was a lot of, um, you know, heavy metal um you know, like um, Deep Purple, Nazareth, Uriah Heep. There was this, the youth culture around the time was centered around different music than we ended up listening to. And um, Jimi Hendrix was the, the first kind of lucky buy. And I think I bought it because of the cover. I thought, I thought it looked amazingly cool. Yeah. And that also changed our whole fashion sense. We started prowling the sort of street markets for hippie clothes, which uh, were kind of out of fashion at the time. So became hippies at, at the age of 13, 14. <laughs> Wonderful. Tell me a little bit about um, your relationship with, with the record store as you got older. Well, it used to be a place we went uh, during our school days. It used to be, a, uh, we couldn't afford to buy records, but you, you were allowed to go in and put on a pair of headsets and listen to records. And we would just spend hours after school going into the record store and listen to records. And that, so that was that was like a, a fountain of, of um, joy and a, you know like a surreptitious um, jar in a way. Um, but yeah, as I get older, I mean, you know, when we moved to England, there was this shocking, you know, that was at the age of I don't know what, uh, eighteen, nineteen. Um, and that we went to England to to be musicians and become pop stars, and and uh, it was just Paul and me on the first uh, the first trip, and we were shocked by first of all UK radio, like how much music was just coming at you, new music, like because in Norway at the time you had very few radio channels, and pop music was played growing up one hour a day in the afternoon. Um, and it was so it was just a kind of like completely different scenario uh, but we did you know we went in, into all the record stores and, and we kind of just shocked to realize hold on a minute 
there's really good new, new music that's coming out. And, um, and so that was a rude awakening, like, and that sort of, that sort of jetted us straight into the 80s and, and was sort of formative in terms of what sound we ended up with. I mean, that plus the fact that we didn't have work permits and we didn't have a band of... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. People, it was just, you know, two, and then eventually with Morton um, joining three of us. Uh, so we had to kind of learn how to use synthesizers and we had to learn how to create our own demos and our own tracks. So we became sort of multi-instrumentalists. And back in the day, I started as a guitarist and vocalist in the band. Paul played the drums. Then he would swap to guitars and we had two guitars for a while. I swapped to keyboards. So we were already just using instruments to write more than to perform. We weren't yeah. ever going to be like virtuoso musicians. Um, that was never the plan and never the ambition. Um, but I think, I think um, record stores as a young adult was, as a child, it was a, a, a sanctuary, a, a way of this sort of escaping into a different world. Um, and as a young adult, it was a kind of a game changer in terms of being exposed to in the UK, uh, being exposed to new music, and, and both were quite formative experiences. I'm going to take you clubbing for track five and ask you to tell me a song that soundtracked those years, please. Well, clubbing was not a huge part of has never been a huge part of my life, but we did when, when we moved to London as a young band together. Um, what year was that, Max? Do you mind me asking? What year did you come well, up? Well, the first, the first time we went was 1981. Um, just um, 1981, 82, into 82. And um, um, there was no clubbing going on. It was just playing with two uh, scruffy-looking Norwegians who um, had a, an acoustic guitar and a, and a huge synth with a small speaker. <laughs> um, but when, um, when we went back to Norway and, and formed the Ha with Morten, uh, we made some demos there, and then we went back to the UK in 1983. Uh, I think, well, 82. Uh, well, you're going to have to ask Morten. He keeps track of those things. Um, but... So, yeah, around that time, uh, we were home for about six months, so it would have been uh, 82, 83. Uh, and we decided the only way we could sort of promote ourselves, because Morton was a bit of a flamboyant character, and he sort of embraced that whole um, uh, new romantic movement and kind of used house paint in his hair and, you know, like cut up the jeans to be full of holes and... Um, ours were falling apart anyway, so we kind of looked apart. <laughs> um, but we used to go out to the Camden Palace and 
because Morton was a bit of a show off, we would, you know, eventually just kind of be able to get in for free. Um, so there was a lot of that, um, you know, the, the sort of London club scene. There was an intense little period there where we went out clubbing, uh, stealing everyone else's drinks when they weren't looking. Um, and I, um, the, the track I chose, incidentally, also the, the sort of the track in uh, my wife and my relationship um, uh, is Ashes to Ashes by David Bowie, because that was a track that was danceable but meaningful as a song. And I think that was the one that stands out for me as, as the highlight of my short and very clumsy uh, clubbing career. Um, I'm really fascinated by that period of, of, of UK music. I, I, I run a, a venue in Essex that used to be called Crocs, and, and that was where Depeche Mode started. I, I live very near uh, where where they formed and, and, and Vince Clark and such. So that that whole kind of simp scene and, 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 and what was going on in London at Club for Heroes and Blitz and, and the Camden Palais, yep. the fact that you was floating about in that, like I'm fascinated by it. Did that feel like an exciting time? Yeah, I mean, it was super exciting. We were poor as dirt when we were there, but we, we somehow managed to finagle our way in. And, and I remember also like, because all the once you're mentioning is prior to the Hippodrome, because that that yeah that, that was like the the huge thing when he came uh, a little later, but around the same time. Um, but there was a, it was a very uh, it was actually you know you went to clubs also I guess to to be exposed to to music that you hadn't heard you know um, you didn't go into to sort of pop along to to music you knew at least not at least we didn't. Um, so, so it was a, and there was this sort of uh, flamboyancy, like everyone was kind of, you know, painted up and tarted up, and, and there was a lot of experimentation going on in the fashion scene. Um, I was never really good at that. I mean, neither was Paul, to be honest. Morton was the one who was uh, trying to uh, whip us into shape before going out on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> But it was a. I mean, looking back at it, it was a um, a lot of interesting stuff going on, and, and um, particularly as you, as you were mentioning, you know, like things that um, Pesh Mode did, and, and, and later Vince Clark with the Azu. Um, those were all kind of records that we would absorb and, and make part of our um, our own sound, you know, in defining that. So. Um, yeah. So it was definitely a, a super exciting um, time to be in London. Yeah. Well, I've just told you about Depeche Mode and Yazoo and Vince Clark and people from my home county. So uh, I'm going to ask you for the next track, please, to tell me a favourite song from an artist from yours, please. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of good music coming out of Norway in the last... 10, 20 years. Uh, when we left in the early 80s, we didn't rate any of the Norwegian. And there was this sort of, there was this inferiority complex as well. We were kind of laughed out of town for, for saying, having the ambition to, to go abroad and say, we're going to make it, you know, we're going to make it. And so we, we actually, uh, we made the rational decision that if we make it if we try to get a record deal in Norway we will never ever be listened to outside of Norway so we're going to go straight to the Holy Grail 
go to London and make it there. That was that was the simple equation that 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 you know it didn't. I mean, it did happen, but but it wasn't like uh, London was waiting for us. Yeah. Um, but um, there has been consistently good stuff coming out, and more and more so. And I, you know, I think Scandinavia as a as a as a, um, an area of interest has has only grown over the years. Um, and there are regional differences. I mean, the Swedes have been much better at making kind of big hit records, where the Norwegians were kind of a little more introvert, a little more nerdy, uh, and perhaps also more interesting because of that. Um, but I chose a track that I thought was outstanding. This is this is later in life. This is like post-aha uh, or, you know, later in our career. Um, I discovered a, an artist called Magnet. He's from Bergen in Norway, but he was living in England and, and had quite a following there, actually. So I think I think the first time I heard this song was in the UK, um, and I had no idea that it was a Norwegian artist. Uh, but it's a beautiful track, and it's called Nothing Hurts Now by Magnus. Beautiful record, that is. And do you know what? I was, I was listening to some of it when I got sent uh, your list today. And thinking about it now, I didn't pick up on it earlier, but I think the first time I heard Magnus, am I right in saying... Did he work with Gemma Hayes on a cover of Dylan's Lay Lady Lay? That's correct. I think that was his big, uh, big hit. Yeah. Uh, I was a huge Dylan fan, so I wasn't too enamored by it to begin with, but it's, it's a really good cover. Um, but I think for me, um, there was like the album that I, I believe the album that Nothing Hurts Now is on is called Quiet and Still. Um, and he's he's produced some amazing music um, over the years, and I think he kind of just left the business, or at least left UK and went back to Norway to live a simpler life. And but he's he's made some really nice, uh, really, you know, um, touching stuff. And uh, for me, nothing hurts now was a was one of those uh, um, one of those tracks right up there in my mind with um, you know songs by. Um, soft sell like say hello wave goodbye and things that we really loved and really kind of embraced when we were um just starting out um in the uk yeah it's the last track mags and uh and you get to play uh tastemaker or as the kids call it influencer uh now oh, wow. and uh and i'm gonna ask you please to tell me uh, a track that you think many may not know that you would like them to hear please yeah, I wish I could have picked up. I mean, there, there's a lot of tracks by people like uh, Bonnie there, and um, you know. I, however, contemporary I try to sound, I guess I always <laughs> sound a bit old, uh, old dude. But um, but I don't mind that. I think you know, um, there's just a lot of music that has to be rediscovered and, and valued by by um, uh, younger generations, and and if. Uh, anything I can say makes them do that, um, then that's that's good enough. Um, and I, one of those records that I just rediscovered actually quite late in life um, compared to when it was put out was um, one of these artists when Nick Drake was Nick Drake, and I think um, Riverman by Nick Drake is just a must for every generation. 
um, just has the it has the best string arrangements um, in the world uh, ever made. <laughs> uh, perhaps perhaps challenged by some of Beck's stuff on Sea Change. Um, I have to give. Oh, great shot! Yeah, absolutely. But I, th- I do think like there should be this kind of rule that when you sort of get to like sort of 14, 15, somebody should just give you a Nick Drake record and go, look, have that. Everything's going to be all right. Trust me. And like, and get lost in that record because it's magical, right? It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, sort of poetically significant that the guy who made those records died at, of an overdose of, of antidepressants. I mean, it's just the saddest, most beautiful music um, yeah. in the world. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and I, I made that, um, I made that sort of parental um, decision with my kids. Like, you got to listen to this. you got to listen to this. you got to listen to this. And as, as a, uh, I mean, they found their own way um, and their own artists, but my kids um, pretty well versed in in the music that I think everybody should listen to. They've they've been force fed a lot of stuff, including Nick Craig over the years. Wonderful. Well, Max, we put together, uh, as mentioned, a Spotify playlist uh, of all the songs that you've you've chosen, as well as some of your work, as well, of course. Uh, and so people can go and explore everything we've spoken about today. Um, as we're we're out of the pandemic now, normal services resumed, gigs are happening, festivals are happening, records are being made. What's happening, Mags, for the rest of twenty twenty two? What are you looking forward to? Um, well, we we have had a pretty busy twenty two um, because you know tours from twenty and new shows were crammed together in a kind of a chaotic blend of arena shows, some stadiums and some club <laughs> club gigs and festivals. So so um we're just at the tail end of it now. Um it's actually just two more shows. Um the last one is on Sunday at the Hollywood Bowl with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra and, and that's the end of the the road for us um for who knows how long. There's no there's no future plans. Um uh, we just sort of cleaned the slate after that, but there is a new record coming out. Uh, we made during the pandemic. We made um, a kind of a music-based film version, like a sort of a poetic letter from the the high north. Uh, recorded it um, in a town way up north in Norway called Buda, which is uh, above the polar circle. And it's um, it's coming out. The film's coming out in September, and as a consequence of that, the soundtrack is also a new album. It's um, it's uh, new material. So both film and and album is called True North. Uh, so I guess um, yeah, I think there's I think it's going to be in like cinemas for like a, I don't know a, a one day or a weekend event around like 500 cinemas around the world in September. So I'm guessing I'll be able to go to one of them, not all 500 in a day since, since they're all happening on the same day. Um, and then, uh, I guess promoting the record, uh, in whatever way we, uh, we can at this point. Um, Wonderful. Well, Max, I'm so, 
so thrilled that you give up some time today. I know you've been travelling and uh, I know you're in the middle of, 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 of touring. So thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to talk records with you today. Thank you. Well, thank you. Always interested in uh, talking uh, record. Thank you. Cheers, Mags. There you go. How did, how did that sound? Did it feel like I'd reined the fanboy in a little bit? I was desperately trying to to mention that the, the, the club in there, and uh, I'm fascinated by that scene. Just knowing what was going on in the early '80s in in, in the world of synth pop and new romantic, the new romantic scene, absolutely fascinated. And and as I've banged on about on, on many episodes, you know, that the, the, my club, the Pink Toothbrush, that I'm formerly called Crocs, was vital in in that scene. So I'm always interested to get any kind of snippets of of insight, and and certainly when it comes from, you know the guy by his own admission that wrote that synth playover for take on me one of the most iconic synth playovers ever uh and i'll tell you what i was when i was prepping for this podcast i went back in and done a big deep dive and and went back to some of the early stuff as well and uh, you all know take on me and sun always shines um stay on these roads like I just, I hadn't listened to it for ages and I put it on and I then sent it to some of my friends and I was like, how long since you last heard this record? It is majestic. It is a monster single. Uh, Go check it out. You know, I don't need to tell you uh, what a band they are. I certainly don't need to tell you just how incredible Morton's vocals are. Um, And it is just encaptured perfectly on this huge slice of melancholy. It's got such power behind it as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, while you're there, just spend the afternoon listening to their back catalogue because it's just incredible. Uh, I'm buzzing. Um, The fanboy's coming out now, post-record. Once again, huge thanks to Shane. Massive love to to Max for giving up his time. He just, like I say, travelled 20 miles. He was in his hotel room. Uh, jet lagged, you know, flown from, I think, Brazil to America. Um, as he mentioned, like, you know, playing, a, I think a plane tomorrow in America. And then the next night, as he said, was it Hollywood bowl? I mean, wow, what a life, man. Um, and yeah, a couple of hippies coming over to London in the early eighties, trying to kind of find their way with an acoustic guitar and a synth and a small speaker. How inspiring was that? Um, I'm back next time. In the meantime, if this was your first time uh, listening to Off The Beaten Track, I hope you had a lovely, lovely time listening. Go and explore the back catalogue. Go and have a look through. See who you recognise. I promise you there's loads of other great chats to be had and enjoyed. uh, And I'll be back next time. Love you lots. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat it, boy.